I think a good example of that might be as we built more complexity into certain workflows, I think certain parts of your code can slow down. That balancing act between speed and feature set and complexity, I think, is a hard one to manage. It's easy to focus on features and not realize how it's impacting speed. And so I think we've had to go back and architect a lot of our tools to improve speed. And actually, that's something that we're just now finishing a lot of those touches on on optimizing. That's been something that's kind of a hidden problem. Hi, this is David Frank, founder and CEO of Stonehaven. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Six, six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried to begin. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lavart, and today how David Frank is cultivating a three-way ecosystem for companies to leverage capital markets. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the data edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. David Frank grew up in Denver, Colorado, and as expected, he grew up loving skiing. He mentioned that Vail was his favorite mountain and continues to love it today. He graduated from the University of Michigan and did investment banking in San Francisco before starting his own firm. Outside of tech, he has two kids, and by the time this episode releases, he'll be a married man. His family loves to ski, especially his son, who races down the mountain competitively. From his experience in the industry and in the market, David saw a gap for small and medium-sized organizations to have a system to run financial businesses on. He and his team set forth to build the next generation broker-dealer platform, one that is better than anyone could build themselves and one that is better than any large institution has. This is the creation story of Stonehaven. We're a fintech capital markets platform, and we've built our entire architecture around supporting investment bankers and placement agents, raise capital, do M&A transactions, and conduct secondaries with a wide range of companies, ranging from venture capital, private equity, private debt, real estate, infrastructure, and hedge funds. And so we've built an entire architecture to go support them which we generally categorize into two different areas. One is an operating system, 
which is a combination of technology, infrastructure, and data. And two is a collaboration network. So we enable the people on our platform, which we refer to as affiliate partners, we enable them to originate various mandates in the marketplace and collaborate with other people across our platform to execute on them. So today we have 100 investment bankers and placement agents, and they're supporting over 200 companies in the market today. We have over 300 collaboration agreements between our affiliates who essentially build syndicates to go execute. So that's a really kind of interesting evolution of our platform. We're a U.S. broker dealer and we built all of the compliance, legal due diligence, finance and operational elements built all of these elements into a tech stack and our tech stack supports the entire life cycle of deals. And then we've built an open source database model that enables our, our affiliates to all work in one common data architecture. So we have an open sourced profile level information. We have private engagement data and we enable all types of sharing rules for in the, in the various aspects of collaboration. Early in my career, I was focusing on executing on various capital raises and other types of transactions and then started building teams about 10 years ago that were executing in the marketplace. And it was from all of this experience in the market that we saw a real gap for small and medium-sized investment banks and placement agents to, to have an, a system to run these businesses on. And we were in parallel running our own execution team and then started building a platform where other people could operate on our infrastructure and collaborate with us on deals. And it was around 2019 where it was evident to us that there was a huge gap in the marketplace for building a next generation broker-dealer architecture that was very open architecture in every single way. We already had kind of an early generation of this platform free becoming a, a FinTech architecture. And so we were more of a, a pure play finance firm at that point in time. We started off by saying, you know, we have all these different people on our platform. There's about 15 then, now 100 and, and scaling quite rapidly. Each of them were running their own technology architectures. And we thought, you know what, if we could integrate them onto one tech stack, we could really achieve the economies of scale to go build that no one would individually justify. If you look back 10, 20 years ago, if you wanted to be an investment banker or placement agent, you usually needed to be a part of a much bigger organization to have all the kind of infrastructure and tech that we've built today. And so usually you had a situation where if you wanted to go out on your own, you didn't have those resources. And our idea was to build a platform where people could have a level of infrastructure, tech, data, et cetera, that was way better than they could ever build themselves and also better than actually they would usually have if they were internal within a medium or large size financial institution. Let's dive into the MVP a little bit. So in that story, that first version of the product you built, how long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? We started building our platform on top of Salesforce. So Salesforce is our backbone. We realized that Salesforce had an incredible backbone. And ultimately, if you have the resources, which we have over a dozen people in our technology data team now, but back then we had just a bare bone team when we were first starting. The first idea was how do you build 
a set of data model and a set of fields and architecture that would support the entire journey. So how do you support origination efforts and contracting and due diligence and all those elements? And we started building those things, building it into more and more workflows. And, and what's challenging is we support people who both raise money for companies from seed to late stage, as well as representing asset management firms. And then you add on top of that people who want to execute mergers and acquisition transactions, both buy side and sell side and secondary transactions. So it's a very wide range of use cases. We started thinking, how do you have a common architecture to track information on investors and buyers? How do you build that profile level data? And then how do you build the pipeline management process, all of the activity tracking, et cetera, to have one common kind of architecture? So Salesforce does not have great user interface from our perspective. So while we wanted to use it as a backbone, we wanted to build completely custom user interface and so we started developing our own UI. And then a challenge was everyone we brought onto our platform, we essentially had to do a CRM migration or bring over all types of other Salesforce databases or HubSpot or Google Docs, Excel spreadsheets that were usually tied together by glue and essentially breaking and migrate them into our system. And so we had to start building a data team that could do migrations at scale, which is no easy feat. You also have to absorb so many use cases that people have in different organizations and build into a common core. So that was like the first early stage of it. And pre-pivot to a fintech firm, we were working with outside consultants. And pretty early on, we brought in our chief technology officer, Alex Brooks, who's just amazing at building, who's now also supported by a much broader team. The challenge wasn't just building tech, it was understanding the logic of all the complexities of capital markets, and in particular, private capital markets, and how to constantly be solving unique use cases into a, a common framework. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time. 
for your development team with every new release. And setting up Tribble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. So then from that point, right, so go from that first product point. You've got your MVP. It's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to wrap in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you went about building your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to, to build, to address, to include in Stonehaven. At any given point in time, we have a hundred plus projects we could take on that we know would add value. So a lot of it is always focused on our core audience of our affiliate partners. So where are their pain points that we can help address? And so a lot of that was CRM architecture. A lot of it was also workflows with our team. So how to manage compliance, legal, due diligence, finance, et cetera. And also in the consideration of that, of that is how do you scale? Early on, we were more focused on core CRM. And I think as we evolved, we started absorbing more and more workflow-driven type of processes. There's so many different compliance elements that you can do manually, and that's how pretty much the entire industry works. But for us, it's a better experience for the people on our platform to have a clean workflow where three clicks and you're done, as opposed to multiple emails and Excel spreadsheets and PDFs that go back and forth. And in doing so, it also enabled our team to scale much faster on the infrastructure side. We've always been trying to solve pain points. And just to give another example beyond that is we onboard clients at a very rapid pace. So these are companies, asset management firms that are executing on transactions. And so to give you a sense for things, we onboarded 112 new clients last year, just in Q2. We've onboarded over 30 new clients just this quarter. And so to do that, we have to run all of the legal processes and all the due diligence processes to bring them on board. And so building code and process around things that typically people don't think of as building code around. So for example, a very typical broker dealer would start with saying, hey, email me your terms, I'll add them into a contract and send it back to you. Well, that works at a certain level of scale, but when we're managing 30 or more contracts in a given quarter, you need to actually build all of the logic into what is the core essence of all the commercial terms you'd want in a decision tree that ultimately has about 150 variables in it and ultimately spit out a term sheet that can be converted into a contract. That's the kind of thing that we've been spending a lot of time on it. So that's a collaboration between clients and legal and due diligence and development people and user interface and then tying those elements into the data model of our system. And it's still something we're spending a ton of time on. So right now in that path, for example, just on the legal contracting side, we are our current tech stack at the end of one of these workflows produces a term sheet and then we manually turn the term sheet into a contract and we have all those kind of elements mapped but it still is a manual process and this summer we're we're spending a lot of resources for example on having it immediately go from term sheet to contract building the logic from code into a word document that can spit that out right away you could think okay that's a clear logic but we might have five different templates that you could start with to begin with 
So depending upon how that decision tree goes, there's lots of different logic has to take into consideration. Taking a step back from all the infrastructure, a lot of it's been collaboration. So one of the biggest things that the people on our platform are really seeking is the ability to work together. How do you enable them to form agreements right in the system and execute them and then start all the collaboration process and the project management to go execute? So these are a lot of the elements that I think other people try to do outside of tech through email, through Excel spreadsheets, through all kinds of different other tools. And the reality is it breaks, it breaks everywhere. And so for us, a lot of it has been first getting people into the same tech stack, which enables a lot of these tools to work, and then to build all of those workflows. And then taking a step back from the tech, a lot of it too was actually human to human community building. So how do we create environments for people, whether it's on Zoom or in person, to really connect? And then when things go well, how do you close transactions? And when things aren't going well, how do you build the mechanisms to self-correct? And that's something that we're never done with. So that's an endless kind of process of refining that kind of architecture. Okay, you, you mentioned team and, and you mentioned we in your description. How did you go about building your team? What did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? I am super fortunate to be leading a world-class team. I have six other executives on the team. I have uh, several partners that have been with me for a long time. Going back to an earlier generation of Stonehaven, I have a partner, Stephen Jaffrazada, who runs compliance and he remains our chief compliance officer and now building a lot of the reg tech across our system. And then we have a gentleman named Mark Sullivan. And Mark's been working with me for a decade now, actually. And I think it's been critical to hire people that are, are really talented executives and not just technical in one nature. And Mark's a great example of that, where he's actually run execution teams himself. And then as we started scaling up our FinTech platform, started running all of the mandate management from there, he pivoted and went over to a chief growth officer role. And when he did that, we also brought in another gentleman, Brian Gaffney, who could run the mandate management team coming out of GIC and Blackstone. Alex, I was super fortunate to meet as our CTO, Alex Brooks. He's been on board for about three years now. Had a skill set that was very technical, but also Alex is like a management consultant where he's, I would say, at least 50% of his skill set is being hyper granular and understanding the, the inner guts of all of the in intricacies of how our capital market architecture works and how all the pieces fit together. And then we brought on Chris Yeager as our CFO and Chris had built or been a part of Mollis and Company as their controller of the entire investment bank as it grew from 300 million to over a billion in revenues. We were really fortunate to have Chris join the team and start adding real value. And another function we had to build, which is really important, was our partner success team. And so all the onboarding, training, and support, we built that department from scratch around Brittany Boyd, who's really stepped up and has learned to scale all those exercises in an incredible way. I mean, we brought on board 25 new affiliate partners year to date. To take a step back, the way we've also scaled is we have several other really important people on our US-based team. So we were, were fortunate to bring two people over from Goldman Sachs, Clint McGowan and Ed Correo in compliance and, and legal respectively, Rishi Shukla, who's our product owner, 
and Vith Alajadi, who runs our, our mandate operations. So we've built a U.S. team, and then we, we've been bootstrapped, so we don't have external equity financing. Part of the reason we've been able to do that is we've built two offshore teams. So we have a development team based in Eastern Europe that works exclusively on Stonehaven, and we've been able to bring great talent at the right price for us to be able to scale. And so we've had to build a very remote first kind of architecture for our our US-based tech team to work with the Eastern European team. And we've also built a a team of about a dozen people in India that support pretty much every unit of our business. So they're our data team, they support our mandate management team, they are deeply involved in our finance team. And so that's enabled us to really break down more and more of those tasks and execution elements and have an offshore team help us execute on them at scale. And so that's how we've overall put together about a 30 person team. And for me, it's been an incredible learning experience going from being much more of a practitioner of finance to building a team to building a fintech team. And along the way, learning how to really scale uh, now over 100 people across our architecture. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech/slash code story and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O.tech/slash code story. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I think what we're most proud of is the fact that we've built something that just doesn't exist in the marketplace anywhere else. So no one's actually attempted to build a full operating system environment for our demographic. People have built compliance tools. People have built just CRMs. People have built databases. People have attempted to build architectures that enable collaboration. What I'm most proud of is Our team's been able to build a tech stack as an operating system that brings all those things together in one environment. So many tech firms try to tackle just one narrow use case that I've mentioned, and I think they can be great at that, 
But ultimately, somebody doesn't want to go between a ton of different technology stacks that don't talk to each other. Any one of the things we've been building could be an entire company focused just on that area. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. And I'm also proud of just the community we've built. We have just an incredible AA team within Stonehaven. And B, our affiliates are just an amazing demographic of deal makers, and they support some of the who's who clients in the marketplace, which I, I won't get into all of our clients in the marketplace, but they've been able to now build this ecosystem, raising over a billion dollars annually, that is just a huge market presence. And any given day, there's just hundreds of conversations going on in the marketplace. That's all the underlying infrastructure to go support that in tech is all being run on our system. And so I think most people wouldn't actually try to level, they wouldn't try to build the level of complexity that we've been able to achieve. And so very proud of that. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. At least a hundred mistakes since we pivoted. I think that's just the nature of building. I think a good example of that might be as we built more complexity into certain workflows, I think certain parts of your code can slow down. That balancing act between speed and feature set and complexity, I think is a hard one to manage. It's easy to focus on features and not realize how it's impacting speed. And so I think we've had to go back and architect a lot of our tools to improve speed. And actually that's something that we're just now finishing a lot of those touches on, on optimizing. That's been something that's kind of a hidden problem. If you don't focus just on, if you focus just on features, but not speed, that can be a problem. I think also just trying to figure out how to scale community. I don't think that's much as a problem as like managing ongoing issues, because when you build community, it's not always, it doesn't always fit neatly into tech workflows. You're, you're really building human connections. And so I think building around that and you can help form collaboration agreements, for example, but what do you do when they're not working well? And how do you right size them? Or how do you, you impact success in a way that that would really benefit both people. I think that's really where we've been focusing on. And there's always kind of issues we're trying to solve around that. This will be fun to ask. What does the future look like for your product and for your team? As we look into the future, I think we view ourselves ultimately as a capital markets platform. And so I think anywhere where we can create value between companies whether those are operating companies or asset managers, intermediaries, including investment bankers and placement agents, or any type of investor, I think is an area in which we'll continue to develop our architecture. We really see ourselves scaling from 100 people on our platform to several hundred. We're just hitting that real growth inflection point right now and looking to scale that. And then as we do that, I think we'll continue building more and more tech around it. And so, for example, we're going to be building a client-facing portal so clients can log in and have real-time access to all of their data and workflows, communication tools. And we ultimately would like to build an investor-facing portal, facilitate all the investor journey through, from discovery, through due diligence, to closing transactions. And that's that'll take us a long time. And we're also building our tech stack in order to support investment banking and placement agent teams running on independent broker dealers, both domestically and internationally. And so 
we're really going to think, and we are thinking a lot about how to build very open architecture platforms to go plug into not just our infrastructure, which is how everything's built today, but to plug into a wide range of, of other infrastructures. And so that'll keep us busy for, for a very long time. Okay, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. Without getting into specific names, I would say that I actually like to really focus on people that I know well. And I think there's a whole cohort of people who've built businesses across a very wide range of industries through YPO that I've met. And I have a lot of great relationships with. And I think learning not just from people in fintech, but people who are scaling in totally different industries is, I think, what really gives a much bigger and broader perspective. A lot of consumer-facing tech companies build much better user interfaces than a lot of enterprise tech. And so looking at people building consumer tech and saying, what can I learn from that? Or people who have built large kind of enterprise software businesses that are at a whole other level of scale and saying how they built kind of a foundation that can withstand much, much higher scale and complexity. So I've been looking to all types of different people. I also look for people who have built non-tech businesses. I really like meeting people who have persevered and all the, and shown a lot of grit in building businesses. I think that's it's really easy looking at entering an entrepreneurial space and saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. But the reality is that a lot of being an entrepreneur is, is surviving through all the challenges and hard, hardship that it involves. And so I really like building relationships with people across all industries that are building and and figuring out how to solve tough problems. Last question, David. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? You know, one thing I would say that I've, I would have done differently, actually, even though we've bootstrapped, I would say, I think that bringing in outside investors and partners is actually a really great move early on if you can find the right partners. But I'd also would advise them, though, that I think there's a lot of culture around raising too much money in today's environment, diluting yourself too fast and losing control of your company. And so I think find that mix of what's the right strategic early stage investors that can really create value without raising too much money. And so I think really trying to solve problems through innovation and not through brute force of large scale capital I think is probably where I would I would spend the most time thinking about something with somebody. And I also think really understanding how large of a TAM is somebody going after, but I think that can also be deceiving. Going after big TAMs mean there's huge competitors. And so I think finding a narrow enough niche that you can become very strong at and expanding from a real strong position in that niche is critical. Because I think there's a lot of push among venture capital investors to tackle the huge TAM and then people go after it and find themselves competing with behemoths without having really tackled a niche. So that's probably where I'd focus somebody. That's great advice. Well, David, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Stonehaven. Thanks, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously.
And thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.